0: that was amazing to see people who really know their thing in education. They know what's, what's interesting and what isn't Um, be really curious about not what the professor in the high Ebony tower has to say, but Mm -hmm. what actually the the people have to say.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's really, that's really interesting. And, so I'm studying right now in you know in in university to be, to become a teacher uh, for high school students, and one of the things that I've always kind of thought was was off is that you know at least in in the United States in the education system, we have a lot of our decisions made by you know like like you mentioned kind of higher up people who who aren't really connected to the school system much. They're kind of just making the decisions from up in the clouds somewhere, and and it kind of just trickles down, and then it gets hit. And you know we mm-hmm. we get hit by it. I've always kind of wondered why there wasn't more of a uh, somewhat like more more of a democratic approach to that kind of stuff. Welcome to Talk the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host Brendan Black, and in today's episode, I have yet again another consumer conversation. Joining us today is uh, Mathis from over on the other side of the pond, from where we're at. And uh, I was actually on his podcast a few weeks ago, and he runs a podcast called Utopia on My Mind, which is a really interesting perspective on getting different people's thoughts on what their ideal world would look like and i'll let him kind of explain that more and more but um, i was on an episode of his podcast where we discussed my ideal world and as many of you who've listened to this podcast for a long time could guess i focus a lot of it around farming um, f- so before we get more into that i'm just gonna let mathis introduce himself and kind of talk about what he's doing go ahead
0: hi thank you so much um my name is mathis i'm uh i'm from germany as you said uh i'm a graduate student and i've recently started working that's that's been happening since we last talked Hmm. um and yeah i'm i'm running i'm running this podcast called utopia on my mind as a side hustle where i kind of ask people to describe their ideal world in as much detail as possible and the idea behind that was that um we live in this kind of weird world at the moment, not, not specifically this year, but like generally where, um, where the, the expectancy for parents at the moment is that their children will have it worse than them. And that is kind of a unique situation to be in, um, given the, like the, the, the larger scale human history and and I kind of like I'm I'm kind of asking the question of 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 why that is and what would happen if we return to thinking about the future as potentially better than our present and and that's basically that's the whole thought thought process behind the podcast and I've been really fortunate to talk to some really cool and interesting people I'm among them of course uh, being you um, and. I don't know if you recall but uh, of course we talked a lot about agriculture which i thought was super interesting because that is a topic that i rarely get to discuss with the usual um academia type of people <laughs> who come on this podcast um but you also talked a lot about education and 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 how to integrate um how to integrate this topic of agriculture into our into our educational system and and, and, and that is that is super interesting to me both from this perspective of, of thinking about utopias because I think it has to do it, it has a lot to do with education, but at the same time it's it's a it's almost like um, it's a bit of a personal passion and and, and to, like recently I've started actually working in that field of, of um, education development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's 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 me and the podcast in a nutshell.
1: Awesome. So yeah, I definitely uh, think that, you know, some of the topics we discussed in on your episode was, you know, there's a lot more depth we could have gone into. um, But because, you know, kind of the uh, the the structure in which we we designed the conversation. It was a lot more, like you said, you know, planning for the future. what what could we do better? you know, next time kind of thing, um a lot of a lot of hypotheticals, that kind of stuff. Um, for this episode, I want to focus a lot more on what we're doing now in terms of a lot of those things that we talked about. And so we could talk about the education system as it exists now, the way that agriculture is already being introduced in education, at least in in the United States um i want to talk a little bit about you know the the current agricultural system and and you know compare that to how i said it in your episode so there's almost kind of like a part two to your episode um okay yeah because i I know that last time we were talking about it there was a lot of questions that you had that i didn't get to fully explain just because of you know like like i said how we structured the episode so i wanted to give you that chance to kind of ask those and we can go into depth on those here
0: okay sounds great yeah
1: Awesome. Uh, so um, just and, and like I said, everyone, you know, go check out his podcast. It's really, really interesting. Uh, when I first came across it, I was a little skeptical because I was like utopias. Psh, yeah, right. But then I, I got kind of behind the idea of what he was going after. And it wasn't what I initially thought it was. And It was actually really, really interesting. I listened to a few episodes. Some people have some really interesting ideas on how they would change things if they were in charge. And it was it was just a really really fun conversation to have. So I would definitely recommend you guys go, go check it out. Um, go check out my episode. It's it's up and it's it's uh it's it's a pretty good one. I'd say. I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So jumping straight into it. Uh, what is you know before we get started here, kind of the initial question I ask all my guests. What is your experience with agriculture?
0: Right. Um. I mean, I I'm I'm. Uh, I'm one of the the, the usual uh, probably very privileged um, <laughs> lean lean chair kind of um, you know <laughs> um, <laughs> people growing up and, and and I'm actually the child of two uh, two preachers which uh, which kind of make made me like a full-on academic right from the get-go mm. um, so I really don't have much experience in agriculture. That being said, I do have a bit of experience in permaculture because that was in that's an area that I worked in previously, mm-hmm. um, specifically uh, permaculture in India, and I've I've uh, done research a bit on on eco-villages and their farming practices. So I have a bit of very rudimentary and non-technical knowledge about what's out there. Um, Specifically in the mainstream agriculture that we have today, I have like almost zero um, experience or zero knowledge.
1: Perfect, that's just
0: what we're looking for. <laughs> um, Wonderful, so, yeah,
1: yeah. No, so the idea behind this podcast, um, I, like I said, I, I'm sure that um, the because you said you listened to the first episode, right? Of, of mm-hmm. so. From the first episode to now, some things have changed quite a bit. And in my new formula is bringing on people who have little to no experience with agriculture and exposing them to how much of it is really a lot more complex than they initially thought. Um, All right. Bringing up a lot more of the uh, scientific aspects of agriculture, like you said, you're you know you've been in, in academia since you were young. Uh, I wanted to kind of introduce you to the idea of of the agriculture in academia because that's that's definitely a topic that's uh, often overlooked in the conversation of agriculture. And so there's There's different aspects of the industry that a lot of people tend to not think about just because they think of the simplicity of oh, they're just growing food. Well, yes, but there's also a lot of science, there's technology involved, there's uh, a certain, you know, there's even a certain philosophy involved with a lot of, like, the more animal rights stuff because of ethicality. Um, There's a lot of, you know, just, uh, there's legislature involved, there's so many different careers involved now that we're actually encouraging students to go study agriculture as a field, not because we want more farmers, but because we need more people on the outside supporting roles in terms of, of technological advancement, in terms of scientific advancement, in terms of regulation control, in terms of you know, we need people in these roles that, and they don't realize that by studying agriculture, they could be doing something else besides farming. And so that's kind of a focus right. of the ag-, ag education industry right now is trying to get more people into uh, supporting roles in agricultural fields instead of just the the production roles.
0: Amazing. Yeah. I mean, um, this this kind of sounds like y- the. Um... I mean, this is generally this is this is a, a topic that I find very curious or very interesting. Is this divide between um, agriculture and its and its cultural heritage in in mm-hmm. the public eye um, versus what agriculture and the 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 future of agriculture actually needs today, um, which, as I suspected and as you confirmed, uh, seems to have a lot to do with intersections between. Um, the practice and the, the the research on agriculture
1: yeah absolutely and so there's like you know like I mentioned there's a lot of of complexity to the industry that is still yet to be discovered by the public and you know like you mentioned there's this cultural divide uh, between mm-hmm. agriculture you know uh, and there's actually there's a there's another cultural divide that, that you hadn't touched on which is uh, the cultural divide between the rural and urban communities and because of that divide there's been a A uh, distinct lack of education in terms or communication is probably a better way to put it between those communities and so the rural communities have no idea what what the urban communities think of them and the urban communities have no idea what's actually happening in the rural communities and because of that there's been uh, somewhat of of a, a negative you know connotation on both sides and so that's why there's a lot of farmers who don't trust uh, the people they're buying their food. They just sell it to them because it's business. And there's a lot of, of people who, who, you know, they still buy food, but they're a lot more into the mindset of if, if it's not organic, I don't trust it. If it's got GMOs in it, I don't trust it. If it's, you know, if it's not vegan, I don't trust Like they have this mentality of, I can't trust farmers, but I still need to eat. And so the purpose of my podcast is to try to bridge that communicational gap to provide information to both sides about what the other is thinking that we can start having more productive conversations about how do we handle this industry so we don't starve and less of I don't trust that guy and he doesn't trust me so we're not gonna even talk to each other
0: okay wonderful I mean may I go on a little tangent I have I've I've had this really interesting experience um, on a talk. That was given in the context of. I mean, it wasn't given in the context of Fridays for Future, but it was um, certainly at that time, mm-hmm. and it was basically a podium discussion between um, between researchers, climate researchers, um, uh, some lawmakers, and among others, um, a key lobbyist for the regional farmers, mm-hmm. and the 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 conversation. Was super interesting, and it was about um, you know challenges or, or or especially sustainability related challenges for our world at the moment, mm-hmm. um, and but but as soon as this this discussion um, opened up to the public, suddenly the audience really really honed in on that um on that lobbyist person for for agriculture Mm -hmm. um who was basically just doing his job of representing the farmers in this in this discussion Mm -hmm. and um who suddenly had to really um i don't know he he like people gave him a lot of for for just his position and there was this whole like frustration anger but also like misunderstanding in the room of like people like accusing him of 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 being like you know um supporting really um sustainable unsustainable practices really Mm -hmm. um unethical practices um when when in reality the room was of course crowded with you know the, the usual middle class suspects of, of just not giving a f- about these things when they when they make the purchase decisions mm-hmm. or or having the money to actually do that and but like not realizing their privileged pos- position in this so it was it was really interesting to see this to see in this part in in this in this in this situation like a crowd of very academically oriented people um, kind of going full confrontation style rather than conversation style Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no definitely and that that tends to be unfortunately that tends to be the interaction in most cases and i just want to make it clear i I never blame the the consumers in this situation you know i I never blame the people who don't know because Mm -hmm. um at one point i might have blamed them you know if it was 50 years ago i might have blamed them i mean personally i probably would have blamed them two years ago, because I didn't know better. But now that I've talked to some of these people, and now that I've I've learned more about the consumer side of the equation, and because I've spent a lot of time talking to people who are not agriculturally, uh, you know, they're not surrounded by agriculture in their entire lives, I've learned more about their perspective on things. And I've I've begun to realize that it's not the consumer's fault. You know, in, in the ag mm-hmm. industry, we're taught that, you know, the consumers don't care about what we have to say, they don't want to hear our, our you know perspective on things. They just, you know, they think that we're evil capitalists, that they just wanna make money off of off of the suffering of, of others and stuff like that that's what we're that's what that's what we're kind of led to believe, and that's not at all the case. I've talked to, you know, tons of consumers that are incredibly interested to learn more about where their food comes from. They trust farmers. Maybe they don't know what they're doing, but they believe that they're doing it in the best with with the best interest for the consumer in mind. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what, what's what's the case. Um so I've I've learned to not blame the consumers as much in, in this conversation, uh, because Lately, the the agriculture side has had a really really hard time, and they've been really really bad at telling their side of the story accurately. Uh, you know, agriculture didn't didn't join the social media sphere until maybe 10 years ago, I mean, that maybe that's even being generous, we've only been in, in the social media sphere for a very, very short amount of time. And these other mm-hmm. industries that are, are, you know, actively uh, bashing agriculture, you know, these these anti agricultural organizations, you see, like the animal rights organizations, and the non GMO organizations, and you know, all these other organizations that are out there to to destroy agriculture, they they've been in this game for a lot longer. So obviously, they're going to have a, a, you know, a, a monopoly on how to get a hold of these people's attention. And so agriculture is, is kind of fighting an uphill battle right now trying to get their name out there enough that people can actually listen to them. And so that's why I don't blame the consumers because they just don't have the information readily available to them the same way they have the the anti-agricultural information readily available to them. And so that that kind of builds that that divide even more. It's, you know... We need to get better about telling our story and we just need to find better ways of making them listen to it because we can't, you know, we can't just wait for them to come to us and learn about what we're doing. We have to bring it to them. And that's kind of, you know, that's another reason why I started to shift gears in my podcast is because I was doing tons of episodes on agricultural information and I wasn't getting a single non-agricultural guest because they didn't care. And
0: -hmm. then...
1: As time went on, I decided to adapt that into a a more confrontational podcast. When I say confrontational, I mean actually bringing guests on, having them ask me questions. We have the discussion like we're doing now. And, you know, it's, it's never a negative discussion. They're never, you know, actively against what I'm saying. They may question it. They may, you know, bring some skepticism to it, but they're never like, you're a terrible person for saying this kind of thing. It's always a very open, you know, open-minded conversation on both ends on, you know, what can we do better and, and what do you still need to learn? And so that's been very productive for that, for that conversation to be had. And I think that if agriculture starts to adapt newer methods of communication, we might not be in this communicational hole that, we, that we've been in for so long.
0: It's also a conversation uh, on eye level, which I mm-hmm. think is really important. I think part of why this story or this podium discussion took a bad turn was because there was a crowd, um, and uh, like one one person standing by himself. Mm. So it like the crowd felt much more powerful than they would have in a one-on-one con- conversation. And I think that is like this one-on-one conversation is really crucial to to all all underrepresented issues to have Mm -hmm. this kind of um yeah eye level discussion (laughs) about things. yeah
1: no definitely i completely agree so i wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit and go on my own tangent uh you mentioned that you recently started working in the education field could you talk about that a little bit more
0: Sure, I've I've started working in um in a charitable organization in Berlin, um and they they are basically a science communication uh, organization, and they uh, one of one of the things that they do is that they uh, they host um, a big conference every year to celebrate uh, the biggest scientific achievements and um, this year for the first time they uh, decided to include education. As, as one of the topics that they wanted to um, find um, and scout the, the the biggest scientific breakthroughs in and curate them mm. and yeah and and this has this has been really interesting to to um, to work work in this in this field because I was I was fortunate enough to be you know um, selected to 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 organize that that particular part of the conference mm. and um, and and there's there's been some really great innovation happening. Of course, in part because we are in a uh, we live in a year that is has been extraordinary for education, um, and and the innovation that has to happen in education. Mm. But but overall, generally, there's 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 been a lot of innovation in education. And interestingly enough. Um, this is funny. I I just yesterday we had our our jury session where we basically had like fifteen really um, w- way too busy people in in a Zoom conference together to decide on like who who of our I think we had a hundred um, nominations coming in who of these hundred should be our um, our winners, mm-hmm. um, and it was really interesting to see these these very high profile personalities actually be very emotional not only about technical innovation, about the cutting-edge technologies or or classroom activities, but also and particularly about very informal learning methods. We had one mm-hmm. project on in particular which, um, which kind of put uh, everyday wisdom, gave everyday wisdom a stage um, probably a little similarly to 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 what you do um and 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 the the jurors they just they just went all crazy over it they 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 Mm. loved it that was amazing to see people who really know their thing in education they know what's what's interesting and what isn't um be really curious about not what the professor in the high ebony tower has to say but what actually the the people have to say
1: yeah no absolutely that's re- that's really that's really interesting and uh, so i'm studying right now in you know in in university to be- to become a teacher uh, for high school students and one of the things that i've always kind of thought was was off is that you know at least in, in the united states in the education system we have a lot of our decisions made by you know like like you mentioned kind of higher up people who who aren't really connected to the school system much. They're kind of just making the decisions from up in the clouds somewhere, and and it kind of just trickles down, and then it gets hit. And, you know, we mm-hmm. we get hit by it. I've always kind of wondered why there wasn't more of a. Uh, somewhat like more more of a democratic approach to that kind of stuff and we do have you know we have we have uh, smaller committees on the local level they're able to have some you know leeway but there's there's pretty stringent rules that that prevent certain uh, you know certain things from being changed about the education system and i always wondered you know if, if this is you know arguably one of the most important aspects of our of our society like we mentioned in, in your episode on on your podcast you know education is kind of the foundation for a lot of different things to go right in a society uh, if if you know education is so important why are we not letting the people who are actually being affected by it make the choices on how it gets on how it gets decided um so I think that's really interesting that, you know, they, they were starting to take more of that kind of approach over in the operations that you're working with. Uh, so with with those operations, what I don't know if you're able to talk about this, but what kind of new innovations, uh, you know, similar to, to the one you just mentioned, what kind of new innovations have you seen? Did you see more like hands on kind of stuff being implemented? Did you see more, um, you know, new innovations in, in remote learning? Is there any kind of uh, new technology they're experimenting? Like, ha- What have you seen that, that kind of you know caught your attention?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can talk about it in abstract terms, definitely. Um, the there are there are a couple of trends going on, and of course, one of one of them really is uh, digital learning in all its facets. Mm-hmm. There's there's been a lot of innovation happening in how can we um, translate a on on-site learning experience into a digital space the best way possible. And some people go the route of um, creating virtual spaces that are really interesting that mimic um, actual spaces where you can have a lot of face-to-face interaction um, without having to be on campus. And, and they do an amazing job implementing technology to, to work towards that, that goal. There are other other technologies who go even or other other innovations that go even a step further and try to make try to leverage the digital experience uh, to its best. And, and, and one, one project that comes to mind, um, they um, they decided to, to implement a technology to remotely steer laboratory equipment. Mm. And and that was a not, that was a project that I found highly interesting to see, um, to see or to, to 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 see yourself go into a web browser, type in some URL, and and just be able to steer high quality lab equipment from your browser, uh, to gain some insight on on whatever research you were doing, and mm. and and that was that was amazing to see that. Um, then like in the in the more hands on approach we've seen a lot of of innovation happening in the um, in the in the pedagogical space um, especially with this crisis happening and with you know every student being in a bit more of a stressed mood or stressed situation we we see a lot of educators actually reconsidering their approach to to their didactics and to to, to teaching their students. And mm-hmm. one, one key word that, that I came across a bit more was uh, inclusion uh, of, of of not only people with disabilities, um, but also people with different social preferences. How can we build didactics and, and pedagogical models to better work with these students? And and the third aspect is I think and that caters more to to your interest of like what is happening system wide is that especially in the higher education landscape we see a lot of uh, movement away from the formal degree structures um, one one major one major trend that is on the rise at the moment are uh, micro degrees so. Um, Kind of kind of educational models where where learners can pick and choose what they want to what they want to study, um rather than having to conform to this very rigid model of, of this is your degree you have to have these credits in these fields, and and rather than, than than having really wishy-washy degrees, they've decided to um make these micro degrees where you can actually complete a degree in 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 a really short short time, but have have an actual degree that you can show for and 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 that that it's in itself is I think a reaction to the 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 global chat or not the global challenges but like the global trends that we're seeing of like work and 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 professional life becoming more and more complex the challenges that we face becoming more and more complex personally Mm -hmm. I'm always I'm always a proponent of having more generalists in the world Mm -hmm. Um, and and also, like um, the reality of people being more mobile, being more remote, being more um, wanting to wanting to see more of the world and wanting to to uh, learn more about about the the fields that other people are are experts in, and and it's really cool to see that to see that happening. And I think it kind of also it like these kind of these kind of structures they happen at a on a level where innovation is much easier. Um, Interestingly enough, the, like this, this, the sector of education um, innovation is happening at least, at least in half, like at 50% outside of educational institutes. So happening in companies, in industry, in, in, in the, in the, um, Investment sector um, happening by individual by individual thinkers, um, and and because because it is is it is a more innovation friendly space really, um, and I think we'll see some sort of trickle down fact if i can put my like still very immature perspective on this (laughs) but like i think like like coming from germany this is this is a really interesting interesting question to discuss because i i do have some teachers in my family and and know some teachers and talk to some teachers and they are similarly to you pretty frustrated with the structural constraints of their job Mm -hmm. and and so i think we do have this problem here in germany as well of the educational system being a very traditionally rigid system, especially when we talk K to twelve, and and I think we'll see innovation coming from higher education institu- uh, institutions um, trickle down to 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 k to 12 maybe even and and this is again another project that we had that we had this year which was highly interesting i thought um a a softening of the borders between k to 12 and mm. and 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 higher educations to like really cater to the lifelong learning reality that we're living at the
1: moment hmm. Wow, that's that's definitely a lot of you know a lot of potential innovation. That's that's really really interesting. No, I think that I think that a lot of that stuff is really really. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really interesting to see how it's developing. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for. Uh, possible restructuring of the education system that could be really beneficial towards students. Um, Mm -hmm. And like we mentioned on, you know, like you mentioned before and like we mentioned on your podcast, um, I'm always a proponent of the idea of having a more free learning system. Um, And when I say free, I I don't mean financially. I mean, obviously, in the terms of uh, having creative freedom of your own degree and having, you know, uh, an ability to kind of uh, structure how you want to learn, you know, having uh, the ability to to work with your teachers and find ways of learning that aren't completely just related to sitting in a classroom watching a presentation. Because as we know by now that, you know, there's tons of people who learn in very different ways. You know, there's auditory learners, visual learners, and kinesthetic learners. Obviously, I'm more of a kinesthetic learner, but I'm also what I consider a vocal learner. And that's kind mm-hmm. of a, a newer development in terms of like, in order for me to understand something, I have to be able to talk to somebody else about it, I have to be able to teach them mm-hmm. about it, I have to be able to explain it and school isn't built for that kind of stuff like they they discourage talking to your peers during class time so if I want to learn something I have to wait until after class to talk about it and by then I've already forgotten it and so there's there's just I think there's a lot of room for adaptation to be made and you know maybe you know since I'm still trying to learn how to become a teacher maybe I'm still kind of naive to how a lot of this stuff is supposed to work but I think that there's a lot of of room for improvement in terms of you know how we teach kids what kind of, of level of restriction we give them in their in their schooling um you know like you like you mentioned with the micro degree thing which i think is really really interesting I want to see how that ends up being a you know being uh, incorporated into the 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 job market um I think that As a society, and again, this is all, you know, speaking from the United States perspective, I don't know how things are in in other countries or or in Germany or anything like that, but in the United States, I think that we... Uh, we heavily encourage kids to go to college and half the time they go and they don't know what they're going for. And so they're wasting money. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why I always encourage going to, to smaller universities, going to, to, going to community colleges, you know, going to cheaper uh, schools to try to figure out what you want to do before you go and spend, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and go to some fancy school just to sit there for five years because you don't know what you want to do with your life. And then you get some useless degree and then you don't get a job. Um, so I think that there's a lot of room for, for improvement in, in those areas. And I think that having that micro degree, uh, system in place could be really beneficial for a lot of people that just want to, you know, maybe they know what they want to do, but they don't want to sit through all that schooling. And so they can just get in and get out and go into the job market. Cause like you said, a lot of people learn on the job. A lot of jobs require some kind of specialized training when they get there. And maybe that training is stuff that they could have learned in school, but if they already learned it in school and they're going to train them anyway, what was the point of learning it in school in the first place? You know, it's it's almost better to learn through the experience rather than to learn through sitting in a classroom for, for hours and hours and hours and then stressing yourself out over all these tests just to go through the exact same thing all over again when you actually get the job. And so I think that there's a lot of, you know, all of the innovations that you talk about are really, really Um, intriguing and I'm hoping to see more of of that kind of stuff being implemented because I want to see how it works before we before we start using it on a a massive scale obviously but I have a lot of of uh, optimism for for that kind of stuff being really effective in in producing new leaders of the next generation you know in producing people that are a lot more productive in their in their jobs that are a lot more enthusiastic about their schooling that have a lot more freedom because that's the thing is I've noticed a lot of people don't when they say they don't like school, it's not that they don't like school. They just don't like mm-hmm. how school is being run. They really mm-hmm. enjoy learning. A lot of people really, really enjoy learning. It's just that mm-hmm. they they only enjoy learning if they get to learn how they want to learn, and that's not happening. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of kids that are struggling to you know to keep their grades above you know a certain you know a certain level just because they have no interest in what they're doing. It's not because they're stupid. It's because they don't want to. They don't want to work. They don't care because that's not what they want to be learning about in the context that they want to be learning it. I mean, my brother and, and my brother-in-law are perfect examples of that. They're both incredibly smart businessmen. They love learning about new things, but they have a very specific way of learning that is not centered around sitting in a classroom for seven hours a day. And because mm-hmm. of that, they they had a really hard time getting through school. They're both incredibly smart. I mean, they're smarter than me in a lot of ways, but school is just not their thing, and school is not built in a way that supports their learning style. And because of that, mm-hmm. they, they struggled. You know, any, any academic would consider them, you know, stupid, for lack of a better word, but anyone who, who understands business knows that they are way smarter than half the actual business students in any university, because they just learn a different way, and so, um, yeah, I kind of got on off on a tangent there, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's really cool stuff, all of the innovations that you, that you brought up. Um, I, I'd be curious, uh, so in, in the agricultural education field in the United States, we have a lot of hands, le- hands-on learning style Uh, teaching methods. And that's something that's not seen in a lot of other departments besides like the science department and obviously physical education. But the science department Mm -hmm. is is a lot more hands on than most other uh, subjects in in school. And agriculture is most closely related to a science. So I guess that makes sense. But a lot of our a lot of our education styles are based around having the kids work with animals, having the kids grow their own crops, have the kids, you know, operate tractors and, and learn how to how to run um, a farm, you know, from, from the from the physical point of view, but now we're starting to get more into the education field of teaching kids how to operate uh, more advanced technology. You know, kids can now learn how to artificially inseminate cows. They can learn how to operate uh, robotics that will be used on, on a dairy. Some kids are learning how to build those robotics. You know, we have computer scientists and we have engineers that are going into uh, designing all these massive scale robotics and, and, you know, large scale equipment and artificial intelligence and all this kind of stuff that's just going to be used for a farm. And so... When you tell people that, they're kind of surprised because they don't even realize how much technology actually goes into farming. But when you think about it from the educational point of view, like we're talking about the, you know, the significance of being able to give these kids opportunities that they wouldn't have before. I think that's a really, really cool opportunity to be able to to, to use, you know, being able to work in fields that you would not have expected your skill set to go into, but are also they're teaching you things that you would not learn in, in an average classroom because like I said they're hands-on and they're all experiential learning. None of it is, you know, I'm going to teach you about this and then you're going to do it. There's there's some of that, but most of it is I'm going to throw you out there and you're going to figure it out and then you're going to learn from it. And kids tend to learn better that way in my opinion. And so I don't know if, you know, if, if you if you share that idea or if you guys have a similar system in terms of how you run your science programs and cuz I I can't think of any agricultural education programs in in, in Germany. Maybe there are some that I'm not aware of. I don't. I don't know if you have any experience with agricultural education in Germany, but that's just kind of how we're running things over on our end.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, to to take this, um, um, like up front, I don't. Uh, I actually don't have the experience of of how agricultural education is run here. Hmm. what i what what i always thought back to right now when you said that um was my experience in india with with this uh with this small enter like with, was a social enterprise um hmm. and we ran these um we we did two things one we uh, ran um permaculture workshops in educational facilities especially in facilities with um people with in, with, with with um need for inclusion Hmm. um one one particular school that we catered to um had people with uh, hearing disabilities and and the other thing that we did is we um we we coached and we kind of um did the science class in a uh, uh in an orphanage in a in a girls or- orphanage in near near mumbai and and both of these these experiences taught me that this hands-on experience of, of of learning about about what you do and and or, or like how you how you grow food how you sustain yourself, um, no matter you know whether it's permaculture or some other agricultural a- practice, um, it it has this this huge social component to it, and mm-hmm. um, and and that was half the premise of of the programs or the these these services to begin with is that we went to this girls or orphanage not because they needed a science teacher but because we had girls there who um who have prospectively no agency at all in their communities um some of them are or many of them are actually not not um physical or actual orphanages the way we would define them but social orphanages meaning that they're just given up by their parents mm. and um and and to to teach these girls how to grow their own food how to um how, how to do it in a way that that is really sustaining um really meant that we would that we were not only um, teaching them how to how to use a how to use a spade or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, we were actually like trying to give them some sense of agency over their own uh, reality that they lived in, both to practically be able to to live their own lives in a way that they choose to, which is which was you know completely novel to them, um, but also. Um, to become experts again in their own communities um, on the things that they know, of. and 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 that really that really is like to me at the heart of, of 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 what you just said of this hands-on learning, and that is I think why hands-on learning is so interesting because it empowers in a way that um, other learning experiences might might not. Mm. And coming now or like putting on my hat of of you know. Um, looking at educational innovation I think what we're missing at the same time at the moment is a um, a formalized pedagogical model or didactical model of like how do how how can an educator who doesn't know the first thing about hands-on learning um, do that in a way in a way that is that is you know prone to be successful and 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 I think I think like if we had something like that in our in our lineup, um, I think that too would have been just a tremendously exciting project to to look at and to to try to kind of give a stage to.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that there's like I said, I've mentioned it a million times. It's not like a broken record, but I think there's a lot of potential for you know new innovation in in the educational sphere based yeah. around some of the things we've been talking about. You know, there's just there, there's so much there that it's, it's it's impossible to talk about all of it. Um, but it's just you know, there, there's, there's like like we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of room for improvement, and there's always new things we could be trying and learning how to do. And you know, there, there are some things the education system is doing pretty okay. I just think that there's a lot of potential for for new things we could be trying that might potentially increase our students' interest in in what they're learning. I think that'd be probably the best you know the best result is you know getting more people interested in what they're learning about. Um, Definitely. and and uh, one of the one of the for me the, the key
0: like I, I personally uh, the the idea of, of, of we have to rethink what is important to learn and what isn't mm-hmm. in our school system that is something that I found super interesting because we have this is this is so crazy to think about right we have this this the system set up in most countries in the world where we take, our our youngest people and give them a learning community for for their their whole adolescence basically they get Mm. this learning community and they they stay in this learning community for a really really long time uh have professional people put in front of them and and guide them throughout learning procedures and yet we have like this this group or we have this this should be the best boot camp ever <laughs> but we we get like this group of alumni who just hate their school time and their <laughs> their educational educational experiences and and somewhere along the line we must have gone wrong and One of the the best TED Talks I've seen, and I've seen a lot of TED Talks in my time, but one of the most wonderful TED Talks I've seen is by a guy called Sugata Mitra. Mm. He's this uh, Indian educator and just a really adorable old man. (laughs) And he uh, designed the so-called hole-in-the-wall experiment. Um, And he called it the the hole-in-the-wall experiment because he basically... um, Put and and it had a lot to do with digital with 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 digital education. He basically put a computer in front of uh, a group of students who've never used a computer before, uh, gave them a question, and then went out of the room and looked looked into the room with a hole in the wall. That's why it's called that. And um, and what he found was that kids are are super clever in. Um, in just, in just adopting new things, in learning new things by themselves, in their own learning communities. And the role of the educator is really, really misused in, in our today's educational system. And I think that kind of touches on what you said about like you in, in, in hands-on learning, in, in learning that has to do a lot with the reality of, for instance, agricultural practices. You take students, you put them in the context that is relevant and that is real, and then you... Get out of the room and you, you, you give them all the tools and you're there for them if they need it. But you get out of the room and you let them learn and let them innovate by themselves. And what Sugata Mitra did is that he asked the question of like, can there be a thing in two places at the same time? And 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 then like the students... Uh, and then like he went out of the room and the students were like no way and he's like well research it go ahead and then like five minutes later they come back to him with no prior knowledge of the topic and like n- nine-year-olds asking Sukatra, have you heard of quantum equilibrium before <laughs> <laughs> and 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 i can i kind of i think it kind of speaks to the success of 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 this this idea and and to me like this is i could talk about this for hours but like education is is so misunderstood and putting for instance agriculture as an as a topic higher up on the agenda is really the first step in 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 kind of acknowledging that
1: yeah no absolutely i couldn't agree more and i think that you know you you, you hit the nail on the head i think that as a society we kind of begun to overvalue teachers a bit, and not that teachers shouldn't be valued. I mean, I'm studying to be a teacher. I think the teachers are incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't for half of my teachers in high school, I wouldn't be where I am. I had a lot of incredibly powerful influences in my life, but all of those teachers that I valued were very hands-off. They, they taught me how to do things on my own, and they let me do them on my own. I, I didn't really, it was the teachers that, that had very strict rules, and, and that they had to oversee everything I was doing that I didn't enjoy working with. And mm-hmm. so, I think that there's a lot of potential for that, you know, that hands-off mentality. Because I've said forever, you know, I'll ask people, what's the role of a teacher? And they always say, well, it's a teach. And I always say, no, the role of a teacher is to guide a student to learning on their own. That's the entire point of having a teacher, is that they're not supposed to be feeding you all the information. They're supposed to be helping you get the information. And if they're the outlet that that, that, that information has to come from, then sure, that's fine. But if you have to rely on somebody else for your information all the time, then how are you ever supposed to sustain yourself? You know, like I, I recently moved uh, from my home, you know, I'm, I'm living with my roommates now for about two months now. When I first moved here, I had to learn how to cook on my own because I'd never cooked before. And <laughs> yeah. that was a, a very different experience, but I had to learn it quick and I had no one to teach me. So I just figured it out or else I was going to burn down the whole apartment. So, you know, you, you'd you be surprised how fast people can learn when, when they have to, you know. And so if you're forcing them to learn and if they know that they can always have their teacher there to, to ask for help if they need help, they're not incentivized to learn. It's when you leave them alone and say, hey, figure it out. And if you don't, then you're kind of screwed. That's when they start to figure things out and, and you know, learn on their own. And like you mentioned with the, with the uh, communities thing, with the educational communities thing, I was talking to uh, my old boss um, from, from the community college I transferred from. I used to work with him a lot and he was a uh, kind of like a counselor is kind of the best way to put it. He was a mm-hmm. kind of a mediator between the, the student and the counselor, but he, you know, he provided um, kind of like counseling services and he, he actually would like sit down with students every week and he would talk to them about how their classes are going and how they're feeling about school and all that kind of stuff. I was actually in his program for a little while. He's an awesome dude. And I worked for him for a while, and we went to lunch uh, last week, and we were talking about some of this kind of stuff, and he brought up a really, really good point, which is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a vocal learner. I have to discuss things in order to understand them better, and he's the same way, and he thinks it would be... It would be in everyone's best interest if maybe I don't know about you know k through twelve if you have the same group the entire time, but he was thinking for like college classes, for example, for, you know for for university based classes that you're assigned a group of maybe it's four people, maybe it's ten people. I don't I don't know, depends on how big the class is. you're assigned a group of let's just say four people first day of class. you're with that group the entire time you're in that class and every assignment you have to discuss it and because he's seen that people who work with their with their peers as opposed to working with their teachers tend to do better in class it's because you have an easier time talking to people that you're on the same level with and it's like we mentioned earlier talking eye to eye there's a certain you know there's a certain level of, of, of respect you have towards your teacher that makes it difficult to talk to them about certain uh, problems that you're having. But if you're talking to your peers, not only are you doing better in class, but t- the students that t- work with their peers often have better mental health. They often have uh, more positive outlooks on their education and on their life in general. Like There's just so many advantages to working with your peers, but, but students aren't encouraged to do that. You know, they're encouraged to not talk in class. They're encouraged to not work with their peers. They're encouraged to, you know, work independently on things. And yes, there are, cert- there are certain levels of that, that that need to be enforced. You know, students can't be working together on tests all the time. But if you want a student to learn, you need to give them the opportunity to talk to people about what they're learning about because a lot of people learn that way. You know, a lot of people have mm. they benefit from being able to work with people that understand them. And so that's when, when you said that, that kind of perked my ears because I thought that that was, you know, it, it's, it's funny how... how how relevant that is because that's something I was just talking about. But I think that, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, you know, a lot to be said about the idea of, of, you know, encouraging cooperation in, in education systems and encouraging the idea of letting kids kind of figure things out without the, without relying on the teacher all the time. Because like I said earlier, the teacher's role is to guide the student to education. It's not to provide every answer to every question possible.
0: Exactly. And and, and I think like the, the role of the teacher to be a, a guidance and uh, or a guider uh, for, for students kind of also fits better the reality of, of, of the resources we have. I mean, one thing is that, you know, talking to a teacher um, is often much harder than talking to your peers. Um, but there are also just so many structural constraints to having your teacher be the one who teaches you things because we have so few teachers compared to mm. the number of students we have, and and if we want to keep our education system free, um, this won't change very quickly. I think, um, although it, it should probably, but um, nonetheless, like having your your peers as your teachers, or the material and 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 yourself as your teachers, um, and your your teacher as your counsellor your maybe um I don't know your nudger maybe sometimes mm-hmm. um I think is 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 not is, is almost more realistic given mm-hmm. given the, the, the number of students we have. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no absolutely. I mean just looking at the at the job market kind of thing, when you go into a new position for a job, it's 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 discouraged that you ask your boss for every little thing you're trying to figure out how to do you know Mm -hmm. the you know people tend to hire people that can figure out problems on their own that you know they don't want to hire somebody who's going to be asking them how to do everything you know yeah and and often they're not hiring people who have complex skill sets that allow them to do a variety of tasks i mean that's part of it but they're they're hiring people who are able to adapt quickly and our education system is not encouraging that quick ad- adaptation. We're, we're all taught to rely on the same source for all of our information. If we're taught to adapt, then maybe that would p- better prepare kids for, th- for the future job market. And I mean, this kind of circles back around. I know we haven't talked about agriculture much in this episode, but that kind of <laughs> circles back around to the ag- agricultural topic of like, Adaptation is everything. I mean, farmers are constantly having to adapt. All of the industries supporting farmers are constantly having to adapt because, you know, we're relying on the environment, one of the most unreliable things in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're relying on it to produce our food. So adaptation is the utmost important thing that a producer needs to be able to do. And so and anyone studying agriculture knows that, you know even even myself studying agricultural education i know that because agriculture teachers as opposed to to regular curriculum teachers they have to be quick to adapt because they're taking care of animals they're managing teams they're helping kids with their speeches they're you know they're running officer positions like there's all kinds of of other responsibilities for ag teachers that they're constantly having to jump into different ar- arenas and put on different hats because they are so uh spread thin in terms of what different responsibilities they have that you know it it doesn't matter what field you are you're in in agriculture if you're a robotics designer if you're an actual farmer if you're a legislator you know agriculture is 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 a science and as we know science changes constantly and because of that everyone working in that field even if they're not working in the scientific part of it needs to be ready for that change to be happening because it's going to be happening as you know as as the wind blows
0: yeah right that that makes complete sense i mean to 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 push this back to agriculture which which I'm, I'm kind of curious about um what what kind of things um educationally are happening in the educate in the in the agriculture or with the topic of agriculture that you feel are really exciting at the moment may them may, may be in, in hands-on learning or 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 otherwise or structurally i personally i actually don't have much no knowledge um, as to what kind of what kind of um, educational structures there are out there for 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 agriculture as a topic.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, I, I know that we started this episode talking about yeah, we're going to go into agriculture. I'm going to answer all these questions, but um, we got we kind of got sidetracked. But I think the education topic is one that I've wanted to talk about for a while. So I think it was really important that we got there. Um, in terms of agricultural education. It's, it's difficult because everything going on right now, you know, agriculture classes are, are in person or they're uh, remote. And so mm-hmm. that's, ki- that's kind of a difficult thing to, to pull off. And, and a lot of agriculture teachers are still trying to figure out how to make that work because, you know, like I've been saying, agriculture is a very hands on topic. You have to learn it through experience. You can't just learn it by sitting on, on a computer all day. Um, I mean, you can learn abstract pieces of agriculture, but like you're not going to learn how to work with animals over the computer. You're not right, going to learn how to grow crops. You're not
0: going to artificially inseminate your cat or something.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. There's there's no level of of you know understanding the the physical realm of agriculture that can be had on a computer. Everything that is that is done on on the on the production level of agriculture has to be experienced physically. And you know there there are certain things that we can learn over over the computer. Like we we're learning very abstract topics over the, over the the computer, but it's it's really hurting the agricultural education system right now to be online like this so the teachers are, are trying to adapt to that right now i've actually worked with a couple um a couple different organizations on producing educational resources for teachers so we went around we actually interviewed farmers and we recorded, you know, we did videos with them. We did interviews with, with you know, different industry heads. We did, you know, we sat down with different processors. Like we basically broke down a bunch of different industries, a bunch of different uh, steps of the processes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the farm to fork process, but it's, but essentially, if you if you take a product, let's just say milk, for example, you know, it goes from the dairy, obviously. And then it goes to the processor, and that's where all the pasteurization happens, that's where all the cleaning Mm -hmm. and and the inspection and all that kind of stuff happens, all the food safety regulations. And then it gets packaged and goes to the distributor, who then takes it to the retailer, who then sells it to the consumer. And so that chain is so vitally important, and people tend to forget that there's, there's middle steps involved. It doesn't just go from farmer to consumer. You know, there's, there's somebody who's actually cleaning the milk, there's somebody who's actually packaging the milk, there's somebody who's actually inspecting the milk to make sure it's safe. There's somebody who's actually delivering the milk from those places to the store. And, you know, people who think that their, their milk just shows up in a grocery store don't realize that much. And so being able to have those conversations about how we can get that information out more effectively is is difficult to do over the remote you know learning systems that we're using right now because like i said so much of that process needs to be learned in a hands-on environment and so i we you know like i said we we created a virtual resources for the teachers that they're able to use but it's not the same and yeah so i i would say that the the current agriculture education system isn't a good example of of what's actually going on in the agriculture industry if we're talking about modern innovations in ag education, there's a lot of, of interesting things that, that are being tried right now. So ag education in the United States is actually tied to a uh, youth leadership organization called FFA. I don't know if I mentioned that in the last episode or if you uh, know what that is at all. Um, no,
0: I don't, know, I don't know of that, yeah.
1: Okay, so the FFA is short for the Future Farmers of America. It's a it's a youth leadership organization that was founded way back in 1928, and it's it's basically founded around the idea that it's teaching students about not only where their food comes from, but also leadership skills that are required to be able to function not you know in in their industry yes, but also in their communities. It's teaching kids how to public speak, how to do job interviews, how to build resumes, how to network. You know all these different business skills that we that we that you know employers value that are not being taught in school you know you're not taught how to do well maybe in germany you are but in united states we're not taught how to speak we're not taught how to do interviews we're not taught how to build resumes none of that stuff is taught to us in school and so i i know all of that stuff because i went through the ffa program and having more youth leadership groups like this i think are the ticket to getting you know more innovation in different industries if there was an ffa but for science or for you know uh English, for example, or math, or, you know, if we had groups that were based around teaching the subject, but also teaching applicable skills beside the subject, then I think that'd be a lot more interesting for students to get engaged with. Because FFA, I mean, agriculture is interesting to me, but not everyone enjoys sitting in a classroom learning about cows. A lot of people enjoy the FFA aspect of things because they get to out, actually go out and meet people, they get to actually speak on top of the, on some of these topics, they get to actually interact with their community and do community service and work with people and do all the stuff that they really enjoy. And learning about agriculture is just a byproduct of that. They still learn it, and they actually learn it even better that way. But that's not their main priority. And I think if that that portion of it wasn't connected to it, a lot less people would be enrolled in, in agricultural education programs. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting because it's again like this 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 additional system that that is privately set up. At least that's mm-hmm. what it sounds like, or initially privately set up mm-hmm. um, to to mitigate some of the the, the shortcomings of the actual you know educational system that should provide that um yeah again it's so it's so interesting to to see that to see that parallel pop up again and it's interesting that you have that yeah
1: yeah so yeah no ffa has been a i mean it's a blessing i you know i if it wasn't for ffa i probably wouldn't even be involved in agriculture today i wouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. my podcast i wouldn't be doing any of the stuff i'm doing because it has that much power and so i think that in terms of you know where we go next as an ag education industry we need to really really hone in on on our what assets we do have and what we can improve on and i think a lot of the the improvements are going to be made in terms of of really innovating the the new technology that is being brought to the table i mean agriculture is like i mentioned earlier incredibly technologically advanced so we use robotics we use artificial intelligence we use drones we use self-driving tractors and we're, we're partnering with companies that are you know they, they have pilot licenses so that way they can fly the drones they have computer science degrees that way they can build the ai and, and the and the gps that's used to drive the audit the self-driving tractors and um, we have you know engineers that are building the robots that are being used in our fields we have uh, legislators that are working with us to improve the policies that are, are hurting agriculture and all of those those subjects are so important if we I think the I think the main weakness of agriculture education right now is that we're not teaching kids enough about those subjects. We're just teaching them, oh yeah, farming is good because of this reason. But we're not teaching kids that they can go into agriculture and not be a farmer. Some some chapters are doing a pretty good job of it. Some schools are are taking that you know pretty seriously. But there's a lot of schools I've met that they focus on agriculture on a super on a superficial level. That's that's not. Uh, it's it's unflattering to the to the scope at which agriculture actually expands. I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of complexity to this industry that mm-hmm. gets overlooked, even in in its own field. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly that that's what I was thinking. Like there is so much complexity in here that um, that really that really should should be shown more, because mm-hmm. otherwise we do get into these uh, good versus evil discussions on 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 yeah on 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 <laughs> on, on, on ag- agriculture and on all topics with like mm-hmm. the, no nobody you know um nobody said like in, in this in this in this podium discussion nobody um had had a problem with drone operators having jobs you know as a, like, right. i mean this is this is this is kind of part of the same ecosystem it's all kind of interlinked and 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 so, so again, so symptomatic of of our complex time that we live in, um, yeah. So I, I think I think it. I think it is super important. But also, I applaud everybody who does a good job of mm. translating that complexity to the public.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'll kind of close. You know, since we're starting to get a little short on time here, I'll kind of close with with you know with my statement of just that. You know, I think there needs to be a lot more. Uh, push towards having education in the in the in the uh, mainstream conversations, you know, not just because um, You know in terms of agriculture, I think agriculture is an imp- incredibly important topic But also because we just don't talk about this stuff enough, you know We don't talk about what's wrong with our education system. We don't talk about what you know What's actually going on, you know going back to the agriculture mm-hmm. thing what's actually going on in the world of agriculture that kids could get behind You know because there's a lot of stuff that that a lot of students would be incredibly interested in if we just told them about it I mean mm-hmm. I've been learning that through my podcast. There's a lot of people that are, you know, incredibly interested in where the food comes from. That they have no outlet to learn about it from besides social media, and social media is telling them a bunch of lies. And so mm-hmm. I think that if we, you know, as a society begin to start prioritizing the idea, and this is something I talked about on your podcast, if we begin if we begin to start prioritizing the two main things that I believe run a society food and education then I think we'll be in a lot better place than we are right now and maybe you know I, I'm not gonna say I have all the answers but I think we will be having the discussion in a way that we can figure out what the right answers are
0: mm-hmm. yeah totally
1: so I, I don't know if you had any closing statements you wanted to make or anything like that before we before we close out here um.
0: not no I'm 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 super happy and proud to have to have been on your podcast that was amazing <laughs> and I, I I really thoroughly enjoyed uh, us talking about education so much <laughs> um, but I, I think I think it I, I learned a lot about about agriculture, maybe not from um, maybe not from a practitioner's perspective um, but from this um, I mean this drone operator's perspective kind of like mm-hmm. a bit a bit one sphere up. And and that was super interesting. Um, I'm really grateful for this conversation.
1: Yeah, no, me too. I, it was also it was awesome to have you on. I mean, ever since I, I did an episode of your podcast, I was really interested in having you on to talk about some of these things and you know, mm-hmm. kind of pick your brain on what you thought on some of this stuff. Just because you know, we didn't get to go in, into it. Like I said, we didn't get to go, go into it on depth in your podcast just because we were talking about the future so much. We didn't really dive into what's happening now. And so. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, I think it was a lot of fun to have you on. I think it was great. And like I said, if you want to learn more about some of the more practitioner kind of stuff, or if you want to dive deep into certain aspects of agriculture, like the technology or like the you know the law practice or, or the regulations or any of that kind of stuff, you're welcome to come back on for another episode. We can talk about that stuff, or we can you know whatever whatever you want to do. I mean, you're uh, you're yeah yeah you're always welcome here. <laughs>
0: Let's do that. And 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 I mean, you gave so much promo to my podcast. I'm gonna give. You a bit of promo back listen to the other episodes back because I I, I need to do that as well and um, you seem to have a bit of a backlog that I can already learn a lot from which I will do
1: yeah so my first season is entirely informational based it's all based on you know different industries and, and what's going on in, in the background of that my second season is a lot more conversational that's where I bring people on and have them ask questions I answer questions we talk about different aspects of the industry both good and bad kind of what's happening behind the scenes in food production um so yeah the the last 15 episodes or so those are the kind of the newer season you know like more interesting conversational stuff and then the first 40 i think it's 48 is that's all the informational you know very very professional based interview kind of stuff so hope you find something in there that's that's interesting
0: (laughs) it was wonderful thank you
1: yeah thank you so um before we close out i'm trying to give you another chance to kind of plug your own podcast and all your projects and all that kind of stuff so go ahead
0: I mean, uh, yeah, I can I can plug my own podcast. It's kind of um, it's kind of a side hustle in a sense that it also <laughs> gets side attention only. Um, but it's called Utopia on My Mind, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and I mean, one thing that I do want to promote, maybe more than that, is um, g- g- go out there and 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 vote. I guess, <laughs> um, but also, but also, kind of uh, have a look at your educational system and and see what you can do to change it.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that's awesome that you know that we're able to have this conversation about this kind of stuff and kind of get a deeper dive into it. So, um, yeah. So everyone, go check out you know uh, Math's podcast. It's really interesting. Like I said, I was on an episode of it, so go make sure you go check that out. I'll be sharing all that stuff around whenever this episode drops um so yeah all the links will be in the description for his kind of stuff and you know anything he wants to share um but yeah so thanks again for coming on for the episode i really appreciate it and uh thank you very much yeah and thanks you know thanks to all my all my listeners for tuning in and you know listening to us our 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 rants about the education system and how we would want to fix it (laughs) um but yeah i appreciate everyone who tuned in and don't forget if you ate today thank a farmer